0: Now, Carmen's husband, Fernando, was a City of Miami firefighter and hazmat technician. And several years into his career, he was diagnosed with stage 4 stomach cancer. And as you will hear, despite a valiant battle in which at one point he thought he was in remission, it ultimately took his life in 2015. Now, what brought this story to my attention was the incredible display of brother and sisterhood shown by Fernando's department in taking care of both Carmen and her son, Andy. So we discuss a host of topics from how Carmen and Fernando met, his journey into the fire service, contributing factors, grief, the power of camaraderie and so much more. Before we get to this incredibly powerful conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you share these incredible men and women stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Carmen Ordonez. Enjoy. Come. And I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Shield podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, James.
0: So I was moved by a story that, um, you know, you shared a video initially, it was picked up by one of those positive video sites that I subscribe to a lot of them, because that to me is, you know, one of the wonderful things about the internet, if you use it correctly. Um, but it really showed not only your family story, but the element of brotherhood in the department that your late husband was a part of. So, you know, I'm I'm so glad that, again, God, the universe put that in front of me. And here we are. I reached out to you and we're about to have a conversation about that. So I'm very excited. Where on planet Earth are we finding you today?
1: (laughs) So I'm in Surfside, Florida. It's a quiet little town a few blocks away from the beach.
0: (laughs) Brilliant. Was it Surfside that we had that disaster, the the building collapse?
1: Yes, yes, it was. It was actually I'm um, five blocks away from where it happened, and it was just so so devastating for the community. And um, you know, it, it's sad that now everyone kind of relates Surfside to to this this tragedy that happened. But yeah, I'm actually not that far away from from where it happened, and my my son's. Uh, One of his friends from school was actually in the building when it happened, but they were able to get out of the building. Um, They were part of the building that didn't fall. Um, So they were lucky to make it out alive.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. One of my guests I just had on was from Prescott, Arizona, just a small town in Arizona until we lost 19 firefighters there. And then all of a sudden it becomes known for that. So it is tragic. And I'm actually hoping to get... One of my mutual friends who's also sitting in Miami um, has another firefighter who I think was kind of spearheading a lot of that rescue effort. I think he's special ops team. So I'm hoping that we can persuade him to come on and actually tell that story because it was – I'm sure, you know, you being in the media, there's a very shiny object syndrome when it comes to topics and, and it's on for a moment and then it's gone. And all those men and women that responded to that and then were affected by that, um, I I felt like their story was never really told properly.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was very, very tragic, very sad.
0: So starting at the beginning of your timeline then, so tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings?
1: Sure. So I was born in New York, but my family came down to Miami when I was one. So I don't really say I'm I'm from New York. I kind of always want to go straight to like born and raised in Miami because that's what I feel like I am. But um, so I came down to Miami when I was one year old and I've been here ever since. I love it. I love the weather. (laughs) You know, it's very I don't think I would trade it for any other place. Um and my I have one older sister, she's 10 years older than me. And she's um um, you know, I love her to death. And my parents got divorced when I was nine. So I grew up, you know, my mom, single mom, um, working three jobs to make ends meet for me and my sister. So, you know, a lot of lot of respect for, for single moms and everything that they do. And, and yeah, and, um, went to school here. I went to school for broadcast journalism. And so it was during college where I met, uh, Fernando, uh, my late husband. And it's a funny story. I was 19 at the time. When, when we were introduced, we were actually introduced over the phone and my friend was like, you need to meet this guy. And the first thing out of her mouth was like, he's a firefighter. (laughs) So I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I just, um, gotten out of a relationship. I was like, I don't think I want to be in a relationship right now. And she's like, no, no, you have to meet him. He's a firefighter. And, you know, so I was like, okay, we spoke on the phone and, you know, we got each other. This is when AOL was like really big at the time and instant AOL, instant messenger. So we started chatting on AOL and, you know, kind of just always put him on the friend zone. And then, you know, of course he won me over. He was just super sweet, very romantic. And, um, and yeah, we started, we dated for, for two years, we got engaged and we got married really young. I was gonna I was twenty-two, about to turn twenty-three, and he was twenty-five uh, when we got married.
0: Beautiful. Well yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's so good to hear. Sadly there can be negative um what's the right word, stigma, I guess, attached to the firefighter world, either A, we're great partners, great husbands, great, you know, fathers, or it's the other one where you've been screwed over by a firefighter. So, I'm glad that he was able to show you the the former, not the latter.
1: Yes, of course. And of course, he showed off, took me to the fire station. So, you know, he pulled out all the
0: stops. Beautiful. Well, going back to your Parents for a moment, Um, I'm obviously an immigrant to to this country. Were they originally from the U.S. or were they from somewhere else?
1: They're from Colombia. So my dad worked as a mechanical engineer um, and he traveled a lot. So my parents, they met in Colombia, but then through my dad's job, they traveled a lot. So uh, they lived in Spain for a while, for like 10, 10 years Um, and then they lived in Germany. That's where my sister was born in Hamburg. Um, and then eventually they, they moved to Miami Well, they moved to New York and then to Miami. So,
0: so was that just following the natural kind of Latin journey that a lot of people take?
1: (laughs) Yes, definitely. And, um, you know, definitely the, they instilled a lot of like hard work because of course coming here to the United States as, you know, starting from scratch, you know, my mom cleaned houses. Uh, so definitely you learn, you value a lot, the, the hard work. And I think, you know, it's very big in the Latin community, just a lot of hard work.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's, that's something that's kind of lost a little bit is, I mean, I had this, you know, a lot of people move here. A lot of people even, you know, not so much my story, but people from Asia and areas like that, they give up being physicians, you know, Mm -hmm. and then come back and now they're, you know, working in a factory or cleaning houses. So the, the pride in being you know pride in being where you're from originally but also the pride now being a new country i think you, sadly the word you know immigrant immigration has, has got a negative connotation to it as well yet when you hear these stories i mean you know there is that national that that national pride again even the word national pride has a negative connotation but it's true that that patriotism that so many immigrants actually feel
1: yeah definitely
0: sorry for my dog barking in the background there. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, then let's talk about Fernando for a second. So, tell me where he was born.
1: Yeah. So, Fernando was actually born in Colombia. So, he lived in Colombia until he was five years old. And, you know, same, same story. You know, his parents had really great jobs in Colombia, but he had some family that had moved to the United States and they told them, like, you know, you need to move to the U.S. There's many opportunities here. So, his family um his mom his dad and his sister came to the united states when he was 5 and you know same story they you know started from the bottom you know just working um working in in hotels in the restaurant industry but you know been able to to work their way up and um and yeah so fernando went to he went to school here uh, you know kindergarten And when he was 18, as the story goes, um, he didn't want to go to college. So his dad told him, he's like, you know, you need to find out what you're going to do with your life or else you need to move out of the house. So around that time is when 9-11 happened and Fernando, that was kind of his like, you know, his, his inspiration to become a firefighter. So he told his dad, you know, I want to be a firefighter. So he's like, okay, we're going to, I'm going to take you find out everything you need uh, to know to get you enrolled. Um, and here in Miami, they there are firefighters, paramedics. So they do both. Um, so he went to school. He um, started off as an EMT and his dream was always to work for the city of Miami um, and drive the red trucks. (laughs) That was his, his dream. So he accomplished that he graduated. Um, he started in the fire Academy pretty young. He was, I want to say he was 20 when he started working as a firefighter and he loved his job. So passionate about, you know, what he did being able to wake up every morning. And, and, you know, I, I, feel like very few people can say that they actually. You know, worked doing something that that they loved, that they were so passionate about. But yeah, that was his his dream, and he was a very go getter, very you know, it's very silly <laughs> as well, and which was perfect because they would you know do a lot of pranks in the fire station, so um, he enjoyed that
0: a lot. Now, what about um, sports? I mean, obviously the profession itself demands a level of fitness. When I look back at some of the pictures of, you know, you and and Fernando together seemed like he took his fitness seriously. So what was he playing? What was his kind of focus on that?
1: Yeah. So he did, I think two days of playing football in high school, and then he got a concussion. So his mom was like, no more playing football. Um, But he was a very big sports fan. He loved football, watching football. Um, He loved uh, basketball, the Miami heat, you know, his favorite baseball. Um, he did a lot of those sports when he was, when he was younger, um, soccer as well. He didn't really play much as, you know, just with time. Cause he started, you know, when he was 20 working in the fire station. So it didn't really give him much time, uh, to play any sports outside of the fire station, but he very much enjoyed, I mean, Sundays you would hear the TV going on here with, with football, um and basketball we lived in downtown miami um when we first got married so we would we had the american airlines arena right next to us so we would always go uh to the basketball games and he really really big sports guy
0: so you guys met as you said you were you know young 20s um prior to meeting him Were there any misconceptions that you had about the fire service that you learned were wrong once you started dating a firefighter?
1: Yes, definitely. You definitely have this um, idea, okay, if they're working 24 hours, it's very easy for them to, you know, maybe say they're working, but they're not really. So that's kind of like the idea that I had of firefighters. I also had this idea of like, you know, the calendar (laughs) of firefighters. Of course, you know, it's, was, you know, 20, didn't really know much, but he definitely, um, you know, erased all those misconceptions that I had. And it's just a very, very beautiful career. And I think people that become firefighters, they just have this passion to help others. And that's very something that I admire a lot. You know, they kind of lay down their life for, for others. And that's really, you know, firefighters, police officers, just so much respect for for everything they do and all the hard work. Um, I think people that are not in this world of, of, you know, that have someone, a family member or spouse, that's a firefighter, a police officer, like they sacrifice so much, you know, sacrificing holidays and, um, you know, not being with your family on Christmas or Thanksgiving. Um, so it, you definitely need to have a, a passion for this job. And, and he definitely had that. And he just loved helping other people.
0: Absolutely. Now, you mentioned about 24-hour shifts. What was the shift pattern? Was it 24/48? Yes.
1: Yeah, so, he would work for 24 hours, he would have 2 days off, and then he would work again. I want to say he was in the B no, C shift. Um, that was his his shift. And he worked in in downtown Miami, uh Fire Station 1. So, you know, it was it was it was a lot of, you know, it I think at the end it it ended up taking a a toll on him and his health.
0: Absolutely. And well, we'll obviously get to that. But it's something that I talk about a lot. You know, there is there is a cost, you know, on on us and on on you guys as well, on the family. So as you started, you know, transitioning from dating into, you know, marriage, what then did you uh, experience as far as being a firefighter family? And because and, and, it's something I think that it needs to be told is we always, you know, People say to us, oh, thank you for your service and all that stuff. Well, the men and women that we leave at home, the children, while we go to work are essentially single parents for 24, 48 hours or in the wildland, you know, arena, it might be weeks on end. So what was that going from, you know, having someone in kind of a, a dating experience to now living with someone that every third day was not there?
1: Yeah, it definitely had its, its pros and cons. Um, And I think a lot of people, they don't see it from the eyes of of the wife or the eyes of, you know, the husband, Um, you know, it's, it's, it was, you know, not something that it's, you know, I I didn't really have any ideas of, of what it would be like until I actually lived it, but you know, the good part was when he was home, you know, he was home for two days, but you also have to take in mind the day after the shift, you know, he was tired. So he wanted to nap and, you know, that's of course, and that's, you know, he's trying to make up, especially if he had a hard day the day before. Um, So it's not always like, okay, you have two days, let's go do something fun. And then I'm working as well. Um, So that part was difficult, you know, and then being home like sleeping alone. I would, you know, our, where we live, it's, it's really safe, but still, you know, as a woman, you know, sleeping by myself at home, I'd, any little noise, I'd be like, what was that? You know? And, you know, got my, we got a dog, we got a Rottweiler. So I felt a little bit, he was my companion when my husband was working. Um, but that definitely, you know, there are challenges to that. And, and like I mentioned with the holidays, you know, there was one time or hurricanes, you know, we live in Florida. So I remember one time we were all having dinner celebrating as a family. And then he got a call that, you know, they needed him at the fire station um, because they were preparing, you know, there was a hurricane. um, There was some planning going for that or, you know, so he's, he would just, you know, he's like, you know, I have to go. So it's kind of like, you know, you're sharing that person with their, with their career. And that as a wife, you know, has its challenges and, you know, sometimes he wouldn't really like to talk much about the things that he would see, um, at the fire station. But I know, you know, maybe some of the runs that he got were, were hard, you know, sometimes they involve like little children. Um, so I know that also must take a toll on you mentally as well to just like go about your day normally. So, Yeah.
0: Well, you touched on something I think that is very important as well. And I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago now and talked about this very thing is when you are married to, for example, a firefighter, you have a trained man or woman, depending on you know, what that spouse is, um, who is very capable of protecting you during you know, a wildfire or a hurricane. The problem is we're driving away. And I've had this in multiple times where a hurricane bearing down on my home and I have to go, and, you know, protect the community that I work for, you know, leaving my family somewhat to fend for themselves. So there's, there's an element of guilt as well when you have to go respond somewhere else and leave your family at home.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You said, and there was many times where there was a hurricane and he had to work. So I was, you know, I would stay with my mom, but, you know. You, you said it, you know, he would try to prepare the house as best as, as he could, you know, leave everything ready. But he had, you know, his job came first in in that case.
0: Now, also, when when you're talking about pre-dating a firefighter, you talked about, you know, the one day on, two days off. And that's, that's a verbiage that I think we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot with. Because when you actually do the math and think of a regular workday is eight hours, you know, nine hours with one hour lunch break of you know a nine to five kind of job, then a twenty four hour shift is three days squished into one, of which the last eight bleeds into that second day. So we go around saying, "Oh yeah, we work one day on two days off." We actually work three days on one day off. When you when you look at it, and it doesn't sound so so great. Then and if you expand that to a month, we work thirty days a month. But we go around and say, oh, I only work 10 days a month. No, we don't, because we do three days, you know. So, and what you told me, you know, just then about um, how he was feeling when he came home has been, you know, mirrored by so many people on here. That first day, we are completely exhausted. And then that second day, our mind is already thinking about ramping up to go back to work again.
1: Yeah, or or worse, sometimes he would just keep going, you know, sometimes he would get home and I would tell him, like, aren't you tired? Like, shouldn't you sleep? And he's like, no, no, I have a lot to do. So, you know, there were some days where he wouldn't rest, where he would just, you know, like get home from work, have breakfast and then go about the day doing errands. And and sometimes he wouldn't sleep. He wouldn't nap. He wouldn't catch up on on that sleep. And I, I even hate saying catching up on sleep because you don't really catch up on sleep. You need to get that sleep on that day. You know, you every single day you need your eight hours of sleep, but that's, you know, as a firefighter, you know, that's, that's impossible. It's, it's hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it shouldn't be impossible, but the way that we do our work week at the moment makes it impossible. So that's, that's a whole other discussion. Um, So with that, his actual career path. I know he found himself working on the hazmat team. So kind of walk me through that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I remember he was thinking about, you know, maybe trying to be a Lieutenant, but then he thought, you know, that one was, you know, required a a lot more from him. So he decided to get into the hazmat team and he, um, he got to work in the hazmat team, I want to say, for maybe like three years. And so, you know, he was in the hazardous materials. So anytime times it was like a gas leak or any of that stuff. And, you know, he was so good at, at his job. He was very analytical. And, you know, so I think you need a person like that, you know, especially to be a firefighter. Like You can't make any mistakes because everyone is counting on you. And I think everyone, when he was working, and a lot of his firefighter uh, friends during his uh, celebration of life, they, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I get emotional. <laughs> no,
0: well, I do, and, and please don't apologize.
1: <laughs> it's funny, because it's, it's crazy, it's been six years, but. Anyways, um, during his celebration of life, his captain said like when Fernando was on like I knew like we're good you know so they all had this like trust in him that when he was working they were like in really good hands and I think that's so important you know like having that team that um that yeah that you know that if your life depends on it and he was that person for many people
0: Sorry. <laughs> no, well I'm sorry. I didn't mean to invoke that emotion from you. But I think you know it's also important because this is this is what happens when we lose someone like that. You know, and this it, it stays forever. And you talk about it being six years. My wife, um, I'm remarried. When I met her, she just lost her boyfriend to suicide. And that was over ten years ago. And, you know, there's times where it just washes over her and you know, she's in tears. So, you know, just because grief is processed doesn't mean that it goes away
1: yeah yeah i think um you know as a firefighter wife you know i always appreciated what he did but i think it was after his death that i really kind of really grasped the magnitude of what he did and his job and not only that but we had a we had a, a baby together so i was like oh my god i had this like paramedic at home um you know and i never really saw it that way i was like you know that you know and he taught me so much like i learned so much from him like fire safety and all these things you know i'm remarried now um And even now I teach my, my husband now, okay, like you can't do this. Or if you're putting the pan, like, what are you doing? The pan handle can't go out. (laughs) You need to put it sideways. So he taught me so many things and I'm so just like grateful for him. And, and like I said, I didn't really grasp the magnitude of, of his job and what he did until he passed away. And then also hearing stories from his, you know, firefighter friends of, of like how much, Um, You know, they admired him. I wanted to share this story just to really understand the type of person that he was. He was so selfless that one time when they were driving the fire truck, there was, um, I don't know if you call him like the newbie or a
0: rookie. Yeah, the parochial probie.
1: Um, Yeah, the probie. So the probie was driving the fire truck and crashed it. He got in an accident. And Fernando immediately told him, let's switch seats. I'm gonna say that I was driving, so he did that right away, so he wouldn't, the probie wouldn't get in trouble. Um, and I remember at the funeral, he shared that story with me. He's like, "I'm never gonna forget, like what your husband did. Like, you know, just showed you the type of person that he was."
0: Well, I'm so glad you told that story because I mean that that <laughs> you know when when you're on probation, your job is in the balance. And so that was a very, very selfless act because he probably saved his entire career by that one moment. Yeah. So, but I think that's the other thing is hand on my heart. Most of the people that I have worked with in the fire service, when mentally they're in a good place, let me preface that because what this does to you, you know, can send you emotionally to some strange places, but are some of the best husbands and wives some of the best mothers and fathers you know and they really are incredible humans and that gets lost and same with law enforcement too and then you see some of the way that some of these these people are painted and and again you know the sacrifice that they make the sacrifice that you make is lost in you know sometimes even in in the politics of of conversations but these are the incredible human beings that put on a uniform and leave their families to go and serve strangers
1: Mm mm-hmm Yes, that's why, for me, it was so important Um, in Florida, as you might know, um, they hadn't passed the cancer presumption law. Um, And so that, for me, was something, you know, even after Fernando passed away, um, it was so important for me to advocate for that because cancer is the number one cause of death for firefighters and if you are putting your life in danger, if you are sacrificing time with your family for help to help the community, you know the least you know the government can do for you is to pass these types of laws that gives you assurance if something were to happen to you that you will be taken care of, your family will be taken care of. Um, so that was something that you know I'm so happy it did pass. I think it passed in 2018, um, but there had been I want to say more than. Forty states where it had already passed, and it still hadn't passed in Florida. Um, so, you know, that's why it's so important. You know, at the same time, if firefighters are risking their life, putting their lives in danger, that you know the community does, you know, really appreciate that, and that's one way um, that that it shows. And I'm so excited that that law passed.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it was a fight for him as well. I remember it was all the all the boots on the Capitol steps. Um, and to show how many people we lost,
1: yeah, Fernando's boot was on there. I have a picture um, you know that that I love you know hold very dear it's and it's it is very impactful to when you see all those boots, um, you know how many firefighters you know pass away from cancer
0: absolutely, and that's the the discussion that I want to see parallel to that is a prevention discussion. I think there has been. You know, good uh, movement when it comes to understanding the decontamination and safety. um, The healthy firefighters, the guys out of Sweden that brought that concept over here, has been incredible. But as we talked about, the work week stands and that's never even allowed to be in a discussion. And until we stop working the men and women that wake up at three in the morning and go search a building and then come out and, you know, then act as a paramedic and treat that person. Working them 36, excuse me, 56 hours a week, but the person in the bank works 40. You know, it's so backward that that is another, you know, leg of the stool of, of, of wellness from our firefighters, whether it's the cancer, the, the obesity, the, the mental health. And that has to be in discussion as well. I think we have to have a standard work week, like Boca Raton, Boca is, is 42 hour work week, you know, 24, 72. I think personally, we would move the needle so far in in the positive direction if we addressed the work week as well as some of these other conversations.
1: Yes, that is that is so important and and I don't think we we talked about this but, you know, Fernando passed away from stage 4 stomach cancer. Um, and when he was diagnosed, I spent probably every waking moment just learning as much as I could about cancer and trying to find ways, you know, how to help him, but one of the main things that I learned about cancer is when you go to the doctor and, you know, these firefighters, first of all, I really do believe the physical exams need to be a little bit different for firefighters because Fernando had a physical exam every single year, but when he was diagnosed, it was stage four, um, you know, stomach, which is, it was terminal at that point. So I really do feel some of the, the, the physical exams need to be, um, better, but one of the things that I learned about cancer, and when you go to the doctor, they'll ask you, "Do you have any family history of cancer?" But really, only five percent of cancers are genetics. You know that means they're hereditaries. The rest, ninety five percent is from you know, your lifestyle, uh, toxins in the environment, Um, you know, not getting enough sleep because when you don't get enough sleep, your immune system goes down. And when your immune system goes down, you're not able to fight, you know, these diseases, you know, your, what you eat. Um, so I learned so much about, you know, just, just cancer. And I think, you know, it was just the perfect storm, you know, not getting enough sleep, you know, the diet that Fernando had wasn't probably the best, um, he was in the hazmat team. So he was exposed to hazardous materials. Um, so I definitely think if, if there is more awareness on changing, you know, as much as we can, um, from, you know, the diet, eating more, maybe foods that can help, um, you know, they, there's many studies that show there's certain types of food that is better at, um, Preventing cancer, you know, antioxidants, um, you know strawberries, fruits, all those um as well as cruciferous, you know broccoli and all those types of of vegetables. but I think there there definitely needs to be more awareness on on ways to prevent it, ways you know, and I think as firefighters too, there is um you know when you look at pictures from like, the old firefighters, they would have their face covered in soot, and that would kind of be um you know the the symbolism for you know, you're like the strong firefighter guy. I remember Fernando would come home from work and he would blow his nose and it would just the the tissue paper would be black. And I remember thinking, god that that cannot be good, you know, And this would happen many times. So I think you know, there needs to be more uh, awareness about, you know, washing your bunker gear and wearing your mask the whole time. Because, uh, you know, sometimes in the news, I'll watch, you know, firefighters, you know, putting out the fires, but then I'll see them like taking it off. And I feel like I want to tell them like, no, like, don't, don't take it off right away. And, um, and, and if there, there's many things, you know, not only for the firefighters, but also preventing the heartache for for your family you know as a firefighter so many things that you can do to prevent you know leaving your your wife a widow or your kids you know without their father
0: yeah and you hit the nail on the head with with the image of the tough firefighter and I always used to joke about that like if I ever found a baby in a burning building I was going to stop and rub all over my face first so that they're <laughs> ready for the the news photographer when you walk out but the reality is as you said, it's not only, you know, extinguishment, it's overhaul. I know mean, a big thing for me was car fires and dumpster fires. You'd see people not mask up. Well, firstly, you know, the explosion hazard of just your eyes alone. But secondly, I mean, those are, you know, chemical, toxic, you know, you know, just horrendous cocktails. And, and there's no reason at all to be exposed to that. But I'm, I've had a very short career in a fire reserve. I spent 14 years. I went in in 2004 and even then, I've seen it, you know, change immensely. So the guys that have been on 30 years, you know, the way they were taught back then versus now is so, so different. And you still see that, you know, that complacency kills, sadly.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. And and one of the biggest things that has changed is your fires from the 50s and 60s are so much different. Now you have computers, you have all these different toxins that are in your home, you know, that when they burn up, they're just, you know, more, more toxic. So, you know, there's, um, differences as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, I kind of want to walk through the relationship timeline. So I know you just had, what would have been your 15th anniversary on a very special date last month. (laughs) So tell me about that date and then walk me through, uh, Andy as well.
1: So. So, like I said, we met when we were, when I was 20, we got married two years later. Um, I had just graduated college. And so we thought, you know, now it's the perfect time. You know, we got married. Uh, We got married on April Fool's Day. So I want to say it was the only day the venue had available. So we're like, okay, it doesn't matter. You know, as long as we get married, who cares if it's April 1st? So, you know, we got married on April Fool's Day and, um, you know, we were married for for eight years altogether, and um, when we were married for six years, we thought, okay, now is the perfect time to kind of grow our family, and so we um, had our son a year after, um, and he was born in 2013, and he was he was Fernando's pride and joy. I mean, amazing father. Um, like he would he taught me so many things. like he would make the baby food and like all organic, and he would sign up for the newsletters of like these like moms and strollers and all these <laughs> things. and he would help make like the the baby shower list. He was very, very involved. and you know, was, um, you know, Andy was his his pride and joy. Um, and it's funny, I actually. By accident, I came across these old text messages from Fernando on my cell phone last week and all his, like when he was working and he would send messages like, oh, kiss Andy for him. Tell him I love him. So he was just this amazing father. And um, Andy was, um, I want to say, he was just going to turn two when Fernando got diagnosed. Um, Fernando was diagnosed in December of 2014 and andy's birthday was in january um so andy was just two so didn't really get to be unfortunately a a dad for for too long but i i always say the two years that he had he was you know is amazing amazing dad
0: no he sounds incredible and it's funny because it mirrors i can remember me when i was uh with my little boy I was reading all the what to expect when you're expecting books and you know <laughs> I think maybe there's the firefighter in us you know we want to we want to study parenting
1: <laughs> oh my like he would put me to shame like I feel like oh my god you're like a better parent than me for sure um and he would send me I would be at work and he would send me like tech, like oh check out this newsletter or he would sign up to like baby center and and you're right I definitely think that is kind of like the firefighter um in him and you know to do that but yeah it's it's amazing
0: well then let's kind of walk through I mean you touched on on the diagnosis right before Andy's second birthday so you know walk me through how his health was before and then that that horrendous journey that you took
1: yeah. So Fernando was always this like healthy guy, you know, very healthy, very strong. You know, when you think about like firefighters, you know, he was he was, you know, this like strong guy. And I, I want to say, too, as a firefighter wife, you know, you always have this fear that, you know, something might happen. I, of course, would just put everything like in God's hands and kind of had to like really work on that and surrender it all to God. Um, but I remember if if he would be home like a few minutes late, I'd be like, are you OK? Like, Ugh. I remember one time he was he he was he was running late. And I remember I got in my car and I was like, oh, my God, like I'm going to go to the fire station. Like something happened to you. Um, and then. But little did I know that cancer is actually the the number one cause of death for for firefighters. So in my head, I was worrying about all these other things and, you know, and ended up being something else. But I remember um, in November, I was October of 2014. He was working that day and I got a call in the morning. He was telling me that he was going to he was running late because he had to go to the emergency room. Uh, they had, he had really bad, horrible back pain. They ended up discovering he had kidney stones. So, you know, he came home, they had him on some like medicine, you know, trying to see if they, if he could pass the stones, you know, on its own, but it wasn't, you know, the pain was, was there and it wasn't going away. So he scheduled surgery to get the kidney stones removed and, you know, he just kept feeling bad and the pain wouldn't go away. But all this time he was kind of, you know, just, you know, thinking it was the kidney stones, relating it back to the kidney stones. Um, But then there was one point it was, and I remember November, Thanksgiving, that was a really hard Thanksgiving now looking back because he he didn't really have much of an appetite. He didn't want to eat anything that Thanksgiving. And then a week after Thanksgiving, He says, you know, I, he looked in the mirror and he saw his eyes and they were yellow. Um, And, you know, of course he knew right away, he's like, this isn't, this isn't a good sign. You know, I have jaundice. Um, And then his stomach was also swelling. Um, So immediately went to the doctor. And when we went to the doctor, they, um, The doctor pulled up, he had a CAT scan when he had his kidney stone. So he pulled up that CAT scan and he immediately saw that there was fluid inside the stomach. And he told us, he's like, I don't know why they didn't catch this before, uh, but you have ascites. Um, And of course, I had no idea what that was. So I remember asking the doctor, what's causing the ascites? And I remember the doctor's face just kind of turned like pale. And he said, you know, there's only two causes for ascites. It's either liver failure or cancer. And of course, you never really think you're going to hear that word cancer. Um, You know, it's kind of those things that, you know, it always happens to other people until it happens, you know, to you. But um, I remember he was just very relieved that he kind of had an answer of, you know, something that was going on because he was feeling bad, you know, for two months now. And so he just felt very relieved. And I remember they admitted him into the emergency room and he was in the hospital for two weeks, just running tests. They did uh, an endoscopy and that's where they found through the endoscopy that he, there was tumors inside his stomach. And when they did a biopsy of those tumors, that's when they found out that it was stage four. It had spread to the peritoneum and, um, You know, I remember asking the doctor what the prognosis was and, you know, he told us it's six to nine months, like any type of treatment is going to be just prevent, it's going to be a palliative. Um, And of course we immediately, I, and, and I'm very like emotional person, but in that moment and for both of us, I felt just kind of like God's presence, God's peace. Um, and there's no other way to, to explain it, especially when someone tells you, okay, you have six to nine months to live. Um, and I just felt this like peace and kind of like, okay, we're, we're going to fight this. We're going to give it everything. And so Fernando started chemotherapy and at the same time was also doing a little bit of, you know, like natural things as well. Kind of come any, any, like any tool we had, we're like, we're going to get fight this through every way. And in January, no, oh yeah, in January, we actually went to New York, got a second opinion as well uh, at another uh, memorial, Sloan Kettering, I think it's called, can't remember now. Um, And so after the chemo, he started feeling better. The sighties went away. And in April, when he did his PET scan, they found no evidence of disease. And we were just ecstatic, We're like we got our miracle. We were, you know, Fernando was feeling he was feeling great. He said he never felt better. And so I remember we went to Disney with our son, and we just had like this amazing time and just very uh, thankful, kind of that we got our our miracle. Um, but you know that was very short short lived. Um, two months after, he started feeling bad again. So this was like around June. And, um, you know, he started feeling like the pain again, like pain in his stomach. And we went, he went back to the doctor and they found that, you know, the cancer never went away. It's just sometimes the cancer, especially stomach cancer, the cells are so microscopic that it's not picked up in a PET scan. So, you know, we're like, okay, let's, let's do this again. So he started back on, on chemotherapy And just this time it really took a toll on his body and, you know, it's for anyone that has gone through cancer, they know that, you know, chemo, it's just very, uh, you know, it's very, it's very hard and, you know, he decided to stop chemo and, you know, we even talked about going to like a clinic in Mexico, like we, we didn't know which way to approach this. Um, but at this point he was just very, very weak to travel. And so in august, his birthday was august twenty third when he turned thirty four. Uh, the day after his birthday, I remember, um, we went to the emergency room, and that was the last time that we would ever go back to the hospital. Uh, but before then, you know, there was lots of trips to the emergency room. It was just a very, very hard, difficult time. You know, it's a lot of like middle of the night. Um, you know, he would wake up with like pain and, you know, a lot of uh right. pain medication he had to take and and thankfully we had my in-laws and my mom which would help with our son. But definitely missed out a lot of that time with with our son because we were just focused on like getting Fernando better and, you know, getting through this. Um, but then August 24th he went into the he went to the hospital and he never came back. He never came back home. We spent um, 38 days in the hospital. And in the beginning, he was he was still very lucid, um, you know. But as it progressed, as the cancer progressed, it's just it's very hard to watch because you're basically seeing this like once strong firefighter just you know. I think he was, you know probably weighing like under 100 pounds like he just you know was very weak you know had lost so much weight and and it was very very difficult very difficult to watch but it was also beautiful to watch and I feel like so you know kind of grateful that like I was his person to be with him during that time and just seeing like just seeing his faith and never once complain, like never once say, like, "Why me? Like, why is this happening to me?" Just very, very. Like, I don't think I would be able to have handled it that way. Um, but he just like taught me so much. And um, I remember when he was when he was still lucid, he would tell me, "He's like Carmen. He's like, I need you to promise me that you're going to remarry." Like, I need you. And he started going through like this list. Like you need to put Andy in soccer classes. You need to put him in baseball. And at this time, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I don't want to hear like, you're going to be okay. Like, I still had all this kind of like faith that, you know, we were like something was going to happen. He had just started immunotherapy. So I was like, okay, maybe this is our answer. And I had all this hope, you know, and I think he had a lot of hope too. But then there was one part in his journey where he kind of knew, I think there comes a time where and and I actually read this book um, from like a hospice doctor that said there comes a point where you kind of know like it's it's your time and you kind of um, you're okay with it. you kind of make peace with it. So Fernando had got to that point where he was like, you know, okay, like I'm at peace and i'm I'm ready to go. And I remember, like, no, 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 like, you have, like, I kept telling him, like, you have to, you know, we're going to keep fighting this. And I remember him telling me, he's like, Carmen, you're being very selfish, (laughs) you know, like, you need to let me go. And I was like, you know, didn't want to hear it. And, you know, and I kind of now looking back, I kind of wish we had those talks um, because the only things I had to go by was, like, remarry and put Andy in soccer, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I was like, I wish I would have asked him, like, more questions. And I think even, you know, for, for people that are married to firefighters or, or police officers, and even for anyone like tomorrow is not guaranteed. So I always encourage people to have those hard talks. It's so important to like, like for anyone hearing this, like today, sit down with your spouse or your partner and like, ask the questions. Like if I were to pass away, what would you want me to do with this? Or like, what should, you know, and, I didn't really get to have those conversations because my mind didn't want to go. It it didn't want to go to that place. Um, Even when the doctors would tell me, um, you know, he needs to be put in hospice. But for me, hospice meant like, that's it. Like we're done. And I was like, we're not there. Like, you know, we're going to keep fighting this. Um, So. in I remember the day that he passed away and crazy, crazy story. But, um, I was at the hospital every single day for 38 days. Like my mom would take care of my, of our son, his, my, my in-laws would take care of Andy, but the day that he passed away. So before he was, um, I, I work as, um, I don't even know how to, I don't want to say blogger, but, um, I, Do um, I also do like TV segments on television. And I remember the day that he passed away. I had told him like a month prior that I had this opportunity to do um, this like TV segment for work. And after that, there was an event um, like a blogger event raising awareness for breast cancer. And it was right next to the hospital. It was at the Miami Beach um, Women's Center. And I remember I told him, I'm like, I don't know if I should take this job. And at this point, I hadn't really worked much for 10 months um, because I was just focused on, you know, being being with him and, you know, being his caregiver. But he told me, he's like, no, no, take this. Like, you need to take this job. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's important that you take it. So I was like, okay. So the day he passed away, I remember I called I called my mom. And I told her, because I always wanted to make sure if I needed to go home for any, sometimes I would go home, take a quick shower and then go back to be by his side. You know, I would sleep next to like his, his bed on this like little chair. And so they finally gave me (laughs) like this foldable uh, bed. But um, I always wanted to make sure he was never alone. Like he was always had someone there. So I asked my mom, I'm like, mom, I need to do this thing early in the morning. I'm going to be back in the, in the hospital by 11 a.m can you be with him? Can you be with Fernando? And I remember his parents uh, had to, I don't know, they, they had something that day that they couldn't be there as well. So my mom said I could be there for, for maybe like two, three hours, but then, you know, I need to go to work. So then I called his cousin and I asked his cousin, can you come from this time? So I arranged it perfectly. I'm like, my mom's going to be here from this time to this time. And then At 5 a.m., I had to leave to the TV station, and I remember I did this TV segment, which looking back, I'm like, I have no idea how I had the strength to even do a TV segment that day. And then afterwards, I went to the the event for breast cancer awareness, and it was around 10 a.m., and the event was supposed to finish at 11, so I was supposed to be back pretty, you know, it it was pretty quick. And I remember I was sending text messages to his cousin, like, how's Fernando doing? And I remember she texted me, oh, he's doing good. He seems very peaceful. And I remember as soon as I got that text message, I got this like, like heavy feeling in my stomach. Like, why did she say that he looks peaceful? Like, I don't know. I just got this like really, really weird feeling. And 15 minutes later, she calls me back and she's like, Carmen, she's like, you need to get to the hospital right away. And I remember asking, like, is everything okay? Is Fernando okay? She's like, I just need you to get back to the hospital. So I remember I like ran out the event. I think I took off my shoes and just like started running. I got in the car and I don't even, I didn't even park the car. I literally left it right in front of the emergency room and like ran in, went up the elevator. And his room was all the way at the end of this hallway. And I saw his cousin and the doctors all outside of his room. And that's where I kind of knew that he had passed away. And I remember just like dropping to the floor and it was just very, very hard day. Um, But, um, but yeah, I think your mind too kind of blurs everything else out because I don't remember anything else. I just remember, um, just having so much support to, from my in-laws and my sister-in-law, um, you know, planning his celebration of life. But, um, I just remember, you know, just that being kind of the worst day of my life. And, but, um, but even, even then, you know, definitely has have felt God's grace through that moment and, and, carrying me through. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> it's kind of in a nutshell.
0: Well, I mean, such a heart-wrenching, you know, journey that you had to be through. I this is completely different because this man was 99 years old, but I basically nursed my granddad his final few days. He was riddled with cancer again from a from a healthy man. I mean, the guy got hit by a car, t-boned by a car, and walked it off. I mean, this is that was at like 97 years old. The guy was inc- incredible, but. He got cancer, which is very, very rare for someone that old Um, and very much the same, was completely jaundiced, almost like a Simpsons character by the time he was there and, and held his hand. And, and I heard you talking about Fernando choosing for that moment when you were gone to slip through. And when I was listening to it, because it was one of the other podcasts, I think the Widow podcast that you were on, um, I remember... What a dichotomy that was. I got to be there with my granddad, but it was one of the, the hardest things of my entire life is watching someone that you love take their final breath. So you know, talk to me about that and and you know the 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 perception that he didn't want you to experience that moment.
1: Yes, for a hundred percent. Like and that goes back to how selfless he was because I was there every single day. I'm like, you pick the day that I wasn't there to, to pass. And he waited for his parents not to be there as well. Cause his parents would also, you know, they were in the hospital or they would visit him and stay with him. And I a hundred percent believe that he waited for that moment where I wasn't there and his parents, you know, weren't there to pass away. And, you know, looking back, I definitely think that that was a blessing in disguise because I I don't think, you know, just having that image of Fernando passing away, I don't know, you know, how I would have dealt with that. So I just like, not that the other images of him being sick, but I don't know how I would have dealt with that, you know, him taking his his last breath so I definitely feel and even talking to his best friend he's like oh that's so Fernando of course he did that of course he waited for that moment to to pass and um, yeah definitely definitely know that was um, that was his plan
0: <laughs> now you talked about reading the book um, from the the hospice doctor I had um, dr. BJ Miller on a couple of times who's a palliative care physician Um and death is such an uncomfortable conversation but he yeah she ended up writing a book as well and it's very it's, it's literally like a you know what to expect when you're expecting but for death you know and yeah. getting your affairs in order and all these different things and having these conversations when you look back now the conversations that you weren't able to have what would they look like you know for people that are may maybe experiencing the same thing with their loved one yeah well one
1: of the good things and one of the about Fernando is he had everything in order Um, in regards to our finances, in regards to, there's so many things that I started learning once I became a widow that I didn't have to go through because Fernando had everything in order. Like our bank accounts were in both of our names. Um, So I didn't have to deal with our home. Of course, we bought it together. So it's both of our names, but there's so many people that when they pass, And I think if if there's one less thing that you can alleviate, you know, you're already going through the burden of loss, like you don't want your loved ones to deal with the burden of probate. So if let's say your husband only had a bank account in their name, you have to get a lawyer. You have to go through this court process called probate to be able to get access to that bank account. And I didn't have to go through any of that because Fernando had everything in order Fernando even had cancer insurance. And, um, I just like to, uh, you know, I think, you know, we did see God's hand in so many things. Um, like, I mean, who at, in their thirties has cancer insurance, (laughs) you know? So I think there's so many things that, um, as far as, you know, having, um, a will, I think is, is so important. Um, Fernando didn't have a will, but he had, like, he told me what he wanted me to do in some of those cases. But, um, but yeah, I think just having all your finances in order is something very, very important. And, um, and yeah, I don't know what else I would have, I would have, I would have asked him, I would have wanted him to maybe write a letter to our son, um, But, but I don't know, I don't even know what that letter, you know, what I've said or a letter to me. Um, But, but yeah, it's, I just think at the same time, I think because I did have all this hope that he was going to get better. I think that's what also got me through that hard time, because at the same time, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have hope. And I think that that hope Is something so powerful and, and it's what, what definitely got us both through, you know, those, those hard times. And even after he passed away, you know, having that hope that life could be beautiful again, that I wanted to honor Fernando's life by really living my life to the fullest. And that Andy had already lost one, you know, parent, he, I wasn't going to let him lose another parent while they were living, you know, and just making sure I was present for our son. And, and that to me was very important, but I would definitely say, you know, making sure you have all your, your finances in order, your bank accounts, your, you know, whose name is, is on the bank account. And, you know, for, for firefighters, are they in your, you know, I know there's certain things that firefighters get. make sure your beneficiaries are updated, you know, all, so many important things that, um, it's that you don't really think about, you know, that's especially when you're younger, you don't really think about these things because you think like it can never happen to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you talked about that, you know, feeling that the hand of God as well, um, talk to me about Fernando's faith and you're talking about him even, um, I guess ministering people from from his bed
1: <laughs> Yes yeah so this was something so beautiful to watch because Fernando was just like on this mission like before he passed away when he was still you know lucid he kind of had this like mission he's like I need to just really you said you know minister to to others and I remember when his firefighter, uh, friends would go see him, um, you know, he would tell him, like, how's your relationship with Jesus, <laughs> you know, and and making sure that they knew, like, Fernando was, you know, just, like, in this really good place of, like, he's like, I know what's going to happen to me when I die, like, because of this, um, this assurance, I know that I'm going to see my family again, and that's something that was, you know, what's, also gotten me through is, you know, because of our faith. I know where he is. I know that I am going to see him again one day in heaven. And so for Fernando, it was so important, um, you know, to really talk to his firefighter buddies. And of course, this is a conversation that he had never had before because, you know, you're not going to be like in the kitchen eating with your friend, like, Hey, let me talk to you. You know, it's awesome. But for him, it was just so important to kind of get that message across to his his firefighter friends and it's not about like a uh, religion or being religious not it's nothing like that it's just having this really like relationship you know with Jesus and because Fernando had that he just had this this peace that really you can't explain it and i think you know it's is is something that is very you know, important, and I—it's what's gotten me through during those hard times, and um, and I think it's also something that I, you know, struggled with my faith as well when Fernando passed away. I was like, like, come on, God, like, what happened? Like, I had all this faith that Fernando was going to get better, and we didn't get our miracle, you know. But then I really learned that, you know, having faith is not like your faith is really shown. Not when everything is going right. Everything is going perfect. It's when things don't go the way that you plan. But just knowing that even when things don't go the way you plan, that you do have, you know, like God's going to walk you through it. Like you're just going to have this, this, this peace that you could really just surrender all of your, your problems to him and all of your, you know, all of your worries. So that was just very beautiful to watch, you know, watching Fernando talking to his firefighter buddies uh, about that and I remember he's you know when he passed away he did talk about what he wanted you know when he before which I think that's also very important we talked about like what are things to talk about and Fernando did have you know did tell us he's like I want to you know make sure that you know we do the celebration of life that everyone you know is it's not a time to like be sad like i want you to play this song or and then play this song so you know that i think was very you know he did have some time to do that and then he said i also want at the end of the celebration of life to do a calling if anyone wants to you know accept accept god in their life and and we did that and so many people came up so many of his firefighter friends um so i think that was that was very beautiful
0: it reminds me of uh, one of my friends, John Perez, who passed away um, also from a very, it was actually an autoimmune disease. But I mean, sadly, it's not one thing that kills us. It's everything that kills us. So, you know, there's no one type of uh disease that we get. But it was kind of the same thing. His thing was there was a celebration of life. We all had to wear Hawaiian shirts. It was very uplifting and fun. And I've always said the same thing. I can't stand bagpipes especially now because I've listened to them so many times so I told my wife if there's bagpipes at my funeral I'm gonna jump out of that coffin and (laughs) and strangle you so there better be you know something a lot more up-tempo than that because it is absolutely just crushing you know when when we have a traditional firefighter service because it happens so often
1: yeah and something very special I don't think I've ever shared this before but um you know Fernando asked to be cremated and he asked to wait until Andy, our son, was 13 to spread his ashes in, you know, in the beach, in the water, in the ocean. So Andy's nine. <laughs> so that day is, you know, it's quickly how Andy was two when he passed away. So it's quickly how time, you know, goes by. So, um, you know, I know that day is going to be very bittersweet, but it's going to be very, very beautiful to, you know, one of his wishes, what he wanted. So when Andy turns thirteen, we'll probably, you know, spread his ashes in in Surfside. <laughs> Where we live, he loves Surfside and maybe Key West. He also really loved, you know, we have many special memories in Key West. So we'll probably do that um in nine in four years.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. I've always said because I'm obviously from the UK, so somewhere in mid-Atlantic, you can just dump me as halfway between <laughs> The UK and America, maybe we'll take a cruise and people wonder why I'm flinging, a, someone's flinging the urn over the side, but...
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, well then, with the actual, you know, events after, I want to get to the actual grief process in a moment, but with your perspective through the fire department, the way that we discovered each other was through the amazing compassion shown by um Fernando's crew every Christmas coming and bringing presents. And that's something I think that is beautiful. We're also very good at burying our own. But what I hear from a lot of widows is we're all there at the beginning. And then, you know, it's not too long after that a lot of times they feel forgotten again. So without loading the question, you know, what what were the the pros and the cons of, let's say, those first six months after he passed?
1: Yeah, so I think... Really, my hats goes off to the city of Miami, um, you know, fire rescue. They have been so amazing and really an example. Um, I kind of see it as like all the fire departments do this, but I don't know if that's true. But just from my experience, they, have, they showed up and then continue to show up six years later. And that is something just so, so beautiful to see because, you know, you said it, you know, many people and then just in general, everyone's there in the beginning. So in the beginning, you have all this, you know, love and everyone's there. But then it's it's two years after three, four years after. And I think it's so special that, you know, especially for our son, Andy, that they continue to be present in his life. And so when, when Fernando passed away, this was, he passed away on October 1st of 2015. And of course, very hard time. Cause you had like Thanksgiving, you know, the holidays coming up Christmas. And I remember that first Christmas they called me and they're like, Oh, what is Andy like? Is he into dinosaurs? Is he into trains? Like, what is he into? So I told them, and then that Christmas morning, they came with the fire trucks And a group of firefighters, I was staying at my mom's house at that time, and they showed up with like all these presents. And not only did they, you know, give him, they gave him like this really cute train set, but they stayed building it. So they were at my mom's house, all these firefighters, like building the train set. And I I also want to even take it a step, you know, back but even while fernando was sick now that i'm you know having in my mind the building there was a playground in our backyard that fernando started building but he got sick and he couldn't finish it i remember one afternoon his firefighter friends came and they built his playground and then they would donate vacation time to fernando so they like oh, when people talk about this like brotherhood sisterhood like I I think there's like no brotherhood, sisterhood, like the fire community, you know, the police community. And it's so beautiful to witness. And so they brought they would bring presents for for Andy for Christmas. But not only that, when there was a hurricane, I remember they would call me and they were like, do you need help putting shutters or do you need help moving in your furniture Um, You know, from the outside to the inside. And that was so helpful because at the time it was, it was just me and Andy. Um, So, you know, just having them, you know, checking in, I think that was something, you know, so nice. I don't know. um, I think they kind of made that promise to Fernando, like, don't worry, you know, we're going to look after, you know, your son. Yeah, you're going to be okay. Um, And so we met so we kind of connected me and you through social media so i'll talk a little bit about that video so i posted this video on instagram i did an instagram reel cuz i just wanted to really show kind of a side that maybe other people don't see of the fire community and because they would always do this in silence you know they would do it not expecting you know any you know anything in return so i'm like people need to see how amazing this brotherhood is so I took a video of Andy, he was, um, it was, uh, yeah. So they, they came over with their fire truck and then gave Andy his Christmas present and actually brought the fire truck that my late husband used to drive. So Andy even got to, so the video, you see Andy like going up like in the fire truck that his, you know, we call him Papa, that his Papa used to drive. And it was just so beautiful to see Andy up there sitting in the same chair that his dad used to drive. Um, And then also talking, like letting Andy know, like your papa used to drive this truck. And also, I think for, for me, it's very important to always keep Fernando's memory alive, not only for me, but for Andy and know what his, you know, what his father did and also hear stories from his coworkers, you know, to talk to Andy about about his dad. So that was very beautiful. That video went viral. <laughs> it's was crazy. Um, but I just really wanted to show how amazing they are. And, you know, and they always, I remember in July, they have this thing called like Christmas in July, where they do, you know, an event too for, for the families of firefighters. And they've just always been you know, have gone above and beyond any, any of my expect. Like I really had no expectations, um, but they really have just been, been amazing through everything and just been so present. And I remember when Andy, when it was Andy's birthday, I have this video where all his, all the, um, um, I want to say all his shifts got together, Fernando shift and sang Andy happy birthday <laughs> and, and just the little things like that, you know, it's been very, very beautiful to watch.
0: Well, watching the video, you can see the joy on Andy's face. And obviously there's the time where they were wearing the mask. So he pulls down his mask and there's this big cheesy grin. I think it was at a hoverboard and video games and you could just tell it was genuine joy. And I agree with you completely the city of Miami has set a precedent and it isn't the case in in some departments. It's the case for some people in many departments, but not a, a culture. And I think that some areas we've lost that a little bit. And it's so powerful to hear this story because I have had widows on that were like, yeah, everyone was here the first few weeks. And I haven't heard from people in, you know, months and months or years and years. And that's on us. And, you know, we are a overworked, sleep-deprived community that is very hard to – remember that kind of thing so these are these are very powerful stories for us to hear where you know things are done right where someone you know loses a brother or sister firefighter and feels loved and feels part of that that brotherhood or sisterhood because you know that's what we say you know you're always going to be one of us and sadly sometimes that's lip service but in this case they're walking the walk which is beautiful to hear.
1: I, I forgot to mention, because there's been so many little, little stories. I remember when it was when Andy was starting first grade, his firefighter, um, I call them uncles and <laughs> and aunts, came to Andy's school with the fire truck and they took all the kids. They got to go up on the ladder and everyone, all the kids are like, oh, my God, like Andy's so cool. <laughs> so Andy, <laughs> Andy definitely felt very, very cool and, and lucky. I mean, he has the best you know, uncles and aunties and so grateful for that. So many, many stories like, you know, kindergarten, first grade, they'll just like show up and show up at a school. And I think it's, you know, there's so many, many other stories that I'm probably forgetting right now, but yeah. So many ways to, to
0: show up. Absolutely. 100%. And then like you said, inside the fire service, or just as a member of the community, I think this, these are such powerful lessons Now, with the loss of Fernando, as you said, now you're, you know, on your own again, you're a widow, you've got a, a, you know, a young son, walk me through that journey. And what were the, what were the elements that ended up being positive for you? And were there any negative things that you found trying to process the grief?
1: Yes, I think it's so hard. Um, You know, everyone's grief journey is so different. And there's no really timeline to, to grief. And as you saw, like it's been six years, but I don't know, maybe sometimes I'll be telling a story and it kind of like, ugh. <laughs> it just brings all these emotions. Um, but, but yeah, I'm at the point now where I can look back at these memories and I look back at them with a smile and look back at them, you know, like how, like grateful for these moments, but it is a lot of work. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat that it's, you know, it's easy that you wake up the next day and like a year later and everything is better. Like, it does take a lot of personal work that you have to do. Um, you know, my journey. Huh, so I remember when Fernando Perse first passed away, I think a few months after I decided to go to a widow support group. And when I got there. It was only me and another older lady. She was probably like in her 90s. And I remember just feeling worse. I was like, oh, at least she got like 70 years with her husband. I remember going back to my car and I started crying. Um, And I just felt very like alone in this, you know, journey. But, you know, through social media, I was able to connect with other young widows, which that was very helpful uh, to me. And then also just very... Um you know I would I would hear a lot of podcasts with other women that had the same story and part of me was just trying to find you know like are they okay like how are they doing just to really know that there is this light at the end of the tunnel and of course reading a lot of books on grief and um you know I also did like a few therapy sessions which that was very helpful as well to help me process all of this. But, you know, having, having our son was just so helpful as well, because I did, I couldn't stay in bed. I couldn't, you know, it's, it's kind of good and bad, but I I always say, you do need to give yourself time to grieve. Like you can't just suppress the feelings and, and not go through it. Like you really do need to go, through it there's no like around and I remember thinking like I just want to get to the other side already like I just want this to be over but I realized like you really do have to go go through it and feel all the emotions Um, but my son was really my motivation too to get up from bed and and do stuff with him and take him to you know ride bike and yeah that was very very helpful as well um, but, you know, also leaning a lot on my faith. And that I think was, of course, the the number one thing that got me through. Um, and I can see now looking back how many people resort to other things like alcohol or, you know, things like that to really dull the pain, because it is so much to, to process. And I was very, you know, fortunate that I had my faith, but Sometimes I'm like, I don't know, how How do you do it any other way, (laughs) you know? But I think those things, you know, seeing a therapist and, you know, the podcast and, you know, finding other young widows, having that community, I think was very, very helpful.
0: Now, when I heard you talking to um, the the host on the, the Widow podcast, one thing that she'd asked you, I think, was about the shame or the guilt of not being able to be with your son, you know, in the hospital. And then I'm sure after, and it kind of paralleled uh, my wife when she was going through after she lost her boyfriend, she kind of put herself in a bubble. And even though she got up and made sure her son was fed and got to school and all that, all those things, now she looks back and, and still struggles with that shame of not being present, of, of, of have you know grieving on her own and choosing some positive and some negative elements and sometimes you know him being on the outside a little bit so was there any element of that with you
1: oh definitely and i always say like you do whatever you have to do to survive (laughs) like you do whatever you have to do to get through the day um you know i remember when fernando was sick i did feel you know so bad that i i couldn't be there For my son, but then I knew I'm like, Fernando needs me right now. Like, he needs me. And if, you know, God forbid something happens to him, then I'll always look back, like, I wish I would have had that time. You know, part of me, you know, would think if time is limited, I want to try to spend that time with him. And, you know, once, you know, going through that, once Fernando passed away, of course, you know, you feel a little bit guilty. If this, you know, there's one day that maybe you just don't want to do anything and maybe it's hard putting a happy face, but I think it also teaches your little ones that emotions are okay. Like it's okay to cry. Like I remember one time Andy saw me, you know, sad and it's like, mommy's sad. Like, it's okay. It's okay to be sad because you don't want to, you know, teach your children that you always have to be happy. Like you, you, you can't be sad. And I think we live in a we live in this age where it's bad, like grief is is so taboo. Like we can't talk about grief and you need to be happy again. Like, come on, come on, like time is clicking. Like you need to move on and you need to be happy quick. And everyone's journey is so different. and it's okay to be sad, and and I remember I would get messages from people that would tell me like, oh, I'm so happy that you know you're happy again. I'm like, yeah, I'm happy, but you know, I'm, oh, there's still always going to be a little part of me that's still, of course, I'm always going to miss miss Fernando. But in those beginning stages, if I was sad, that's okay. Like you don't have to say I'm happy to see you happy again because that means that so. It's bad to feel sad, and it's totally normal. Like we need to normalize, you know, being and it's okay to be sad. Like we don't always have to, you know, always have to be, you know, positive or a hundred percent. You know, it's it's okay to really be in tune with your emotions. And I always say, for those that are going to grieve, just don't get stuck there. That's the most important thing. Like you are allowed to to grieve and be sad, but then just don't get stuck. And then, and I would try to always keep that in mind. If, if one day I was feeling sad, I'm like, okay, I'm going to let myself feel all the feels, but then in a few minutes now I'm going to go and, and try to do something that makes me happy. And I think you learn very quickly that joy and grief can coexist. And, and, you know, there's things that no one really talks about <laughs> these things until you actually go through this and you're kind of left trying to navigate this on your own
0: when I met Becky um, I think it was just over a year after she lost Danny her boyfriend and uh, I was coming off a divorce myself you know I think a couple of years prior to that so you know there's two people that have had trauma they're coming together and it's just interesting now looking back at navigating her you know the the element of oh is it too soon for her to be in a relationship for for me the interesting lens was how you coexist with this new partner who also is mourning and and allowing space for the person that they lost to also be in that relationship if that makes sense so you know talk to me about your journey into into your marriage and and again how how you've made that new dynamic work.
1: Yes, I think for me, it was very important to learn that it was okay to be alone. It's okay to be really learn to be by myself. And I think having been married so young, I was always a partner. It was always me and Fernando. And we were each other's best friends. We didn't really have any we didn't really have much friends. Like it was always us two. Like we were kind of glued to the hip. And so when he passed away, I kind of had to discover who is Carmen. Like what does Carmen like to do? And that was very, very challenging. And I kind, I always say like, you can expect like a new relationship to heal you. Like you really need to put in the work and and get to that good place of being complete on your own and not expecting someone else to to complete you. Um, so I think that for me was was the most important thing to to learn and to understand that. You know, I, I kind of got to the point where it's like if I remarry, that's fine, and if I'm alone, <laughs> that's fine as well. Um, you know, but I did always keep thinking back to Fernando's words, where he would tell me, he's like, we weren't meant to be alone. We were meant to be in, you know, with, to do life in, in, in community. But um, I think, you know, a lot of people might want to get into a relationship thinking that it's going to, you know, make everything better but if you don't put in the work you're quickly going to realize that it's all the opposite
0: well i think that's the wisdom even in any relationship one of the things um one of the concepts is you know the two becomes one the you complete me kind of mentality when when you take a step back the reason why you were attracted to someone is because they were an entire person and then you and an entire person come together and Therefore you should navigate and elevate each other. I mean, my wife stood by me when I transitioned out of the fire service to focus on this full time, which was terrifying financially for her. Um, and now she's in med school and and, and it's it's flipped. But we you know, this this marriage, this very, very healthy marriage, I mean now we lift each other up. But there's never any oh, you know, you're part of me or I'm part of you. No, we're we're a team. You know, we're we're a married couple and I think that's just it. I think you a hundred percent right whether it's grief or whether you've got no grief and you're just navigating relationships at the moment if you're not at a place where you look in the mirror and you're content with who you are you're always going to be disappointed if you're expecting someone else to fill that puzzle piece in
1: absolutely i mean you said it Uh, a healthy relationship is made up of two healthy individuals and that's that's the most important thing to really understand
0: now as i touched on before with your husband now um it's a very unique relationship being married to someone who lost someone because as you know you've you've got to make space and and there was several years before becky was even able to to give danny's clothes away from from the closet for example um you know how how is your husband be able to navigate that what are some tools for for that dynamic because obviously we're not alone with that
1: Yeah. And that's one of the biggest questions that I get. I mean, on my Instagram, I still post some things of my late husband, you know, I, you said, you know, um, last month we celebrated what would have been our 15th year anniversary. And I posted something about that and I got questions, you know, is your husband now, like, is he, is he okay with you sharing, like talking about your late husband? And I think as a widow, going into another relationship my number one thing that was so important to me was someone that was going to respect my past and someone that also understood like you never move on you move forward and for me it was always very important to keep fernando's memory alive i mean we we share a son together and i think anyone would want like i would never want like if i pass away that my children forget about me or forget who I was or, or stop talking about me. And so for me, it was very important to, to have a partner that really understood that. And I am so grateful uh, for Julio. That's the name of my, uh, my husband. And he, I think it, it really takes a confident person uh, to understand that. Someone that is, they're not jealous of your past. And that's one of the things that I love about him is that, he fell in love with me knowing that I am the person I am now because of Fernando and it's because of Fernando and him, you know, passing away that now we're able to, to be together. So he has so much respect for Fernando and I immediately knew that Julio was <laughs> the one where, you know, what we had been dating, um, I think, for a couple of months. And I thought, okay, I think we were, like, dating for, like, six months. And I was always very hesitant to introduce my son. Um, you know, I didn't date after, after. Julio was the first person that I dated after um, Fernando passed away. And I remember always thinking, like, I don't want to introduce my son to anyone, like, quickly. Um, So when I got to that point where it was time to introduce Julio to to my son, and I introduced him as a friend, not as, like, you know, this is my boyfriend. Andy was, you know, he was still, I think he was four at the time. And Julio bought him, like, this little firefighter puzzle. And I thought that was so sweet, you know, trying to keep Fernando's, you know, memory alive. And, you know, I thought that was very, very beautiful. And, and till this day, like the post that I did of of my 15th wedding anniversary, I actually run the caption by my husband. I'm like, what do you think of this? Like, do you like the way this sounds? And he's like, yeah, but maybe you should share this part or maybe, you know, so I think it's so important to be with someone that really honors your past and embraces it because, it made you who you are. Like Julio fell in love with me because of my experience and what I, what I went through and it does change you. And I don't think I was the same. I don't know if he would have been able to fall in love with the person, you know, that I was, you know, before, like it made me a totally different person, the one that he fell in love with. And I think that for me is, is so important. And, and my son's room our son's room. Cause Andy calls and Andy calls Julio dad. Like he knows that he has his papa in heaven and he has dad, which is Julio. And, um, and Andy came, you know, I never told Andy, like Andy, you need to call him dad. He kind of just wanted to call him dad. So I was like, okay, you know, and they share this beautiful bond and it's so, you know, beautiful, because when I first became a widow, I was just very worried that Andy wouldn't have this, like, father figure. I dreaded, like, donuts with dad at school, Um, you know, where I'm very grateful that we had his, my father-in-law step up, and he would take Andy, too, but, you know, Andy would see the other kids with their dads, and, you know, part of me, you know, I wanted that for, for Andy, to have a father figure in his life, and I'm so grateful that, you know Julio loves Andy. You know he says that's my son, and every time he introduces, like he does, never says like this is my stepson. He says this is my son, and so Andy's room has, you know, has a picture of him with his papa in heaven. There is like the flag that they gave me at the at the burial, is also in his room. So we. Always keep Fernando's memory alive, and for it's so important because of the the son that we share.
0: Well, again, another beautiful story of another man being a real man, not yeah. beating his chest and benching 350, and you're know, never crying, but a real human being that's compassionate and kind. And I think there's so many different dynamics in families where men and or women have stepped up. You know, whether it's a, a widowed you know partner, whether it's a step you know, someone who's married or, or, you know, all these different um, dynamics that occur. But ultimately, whether it's biological, whether it's, you know, through some tragedy, if you are present in a child's life and raising them, then you are a beautiful, you know, parent. And I think we need to celebrate all these different dynamics rather than holding this, you know, what they call it, not organic, the... I'm forgetting the name anyway, the, you know, the, the biological mom and dad that never divorced with the children as that's the hierarchy, because that's not life in 2022. There's all these beautiful different dynamics. And, you know, anyone who's te- investing in raising their children is, you know, is exactly what we need to move forward.
1: Yeah. And I definitely think it really takes a special person to raise another person's, you know, biological son. and really see that child as, as your own, you know, and that's what, what Julio does, you know, every day, you know, it really pours into Andy's life and, and, you know, not only, um, also with with his actions and, you know, just trying to be the best version of himself for, for Andy and, and for our daughter, you know, we have a, a daughter now, uh, together and, you know, it's just this, blended <laughs> family and and it comes different ways a lot of people think blended families just as you know whether divorce but it's you know could also be blended like our situation you know that came about through through tragedy and um, you know i think there's always beauty that could come about even you know the worst circumstances even through tragedy
0: Absolutely. I think nuclear family was the word I was struggling to remember, not organic. Yeah. Organic is probably healthier though. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I just want to transition to some closing questions. If you got a moment just to answer some short ones for me. Of course. Brilliant. Well, you firstly, you mentioned, you know, some books that were helpful, whether it's, you know, the grieving process or prior. So that's the first question. Are there any books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated.
1: Yes, let me, I actually have my, my audible listing because that's another thing. Sometimes you're so busy to really sit down and read a book. So I would get many of these books through, you know, through audible, (laughs) but uh, one of them that I I remember, one of the first ones I read was called, um, a grief observed, which was very beautiful. Um, that's from C.S. Lewis. Uh, there was also the one that I, that I told you about, um, the, um, the, the one, the hospice, uh, that one is called the beauty of what remains. And that one was very nice as well. So many, um, well, another really beautiful book that really helped me a lot is called through the eyes of a lion. And that one. Is not necessarily related to losing a spouse, but it's about um, it's, it's by Levi Lusco, and he lost his daughter um, when she was little, and it's called "Through the Eyes of the Lion" because when she passed away, they donated, um, I think it was the cornea of the eye, and it's also talks about how. You need to like run towards the roar, like run towards those painful things. Like don't run away from it. Like you really, the way to get through the grief is really running towards it. So his story is just so inspirational on in how he, you know, process, um, you know, that loss and, and still going through it. So let me see. Oh, uh, there was a really beautiful book. It's called when breath becomes there. And this one was written by a neurosurgeon. And it was very beautiful for me to see it's kind of through the eyes of the person that is dying. And I thought that that book was so beautifully written. And one of the things that he wrote, which actually made me feel better that, you know, Fernando didn't write a letter. Because he wrote that, you know, he thought about writing a letter to his daughter, but he's like, I don't know what I would say. I don't know the, the person she is going to become. So he didn't write a letter for, for his daughter. And so that kind of made me feel like, okay, it's okay that Fernando didn't write the letter. But that that book is really, really beautiful.
0: Well, I've actually read that book. And so firstly, yeah. I agree with you 100%. Um, it's funny, when I was... Getting ready to put mine on Amazon. I'm like, all right, well, let me, you know, what categories do I put it under? And medical, um, biography was one of them. And that was, I think one of either number one or one of the top five. And so I'm like, well, that sounds amazing. Let me get it. And what was really sad to me is as you go through his story and obviously, you know, he and his, his wife are, are both in, in the medical field and you see the, the hours that he works in his residency again circling around the sleep deprivation i'm like you know now we're starting to learn more and more about it the very thing that he was sacrificing for his study where he was going to go and help people i think was probably one of the things that ended up killing him so it was tragic
1: i thought the same exact thing you know whenever i hear you know someone that you know got cancer immediately i don't know the mind in me always wants to go okay what could have contributed um, and definitely, again, the long hours, very few sleep, the stress. I mean, he was a neurosurgeon, so, you know, there's so much stress. And and firefighters as well deal with with so much stress from the job. So definitely the sleep. Oh, it's so important. And, and, you know, doing things to relieve that stress and doing things to really... just calm your mind and, you know, taking time out, you know, even firefighters, you know, we all need to take time out to really just ground ourselves and, and, you know, meditate. (laughs) I know for some firefighters, it might be, (laughs) you know, like, I don't see them maybe doing yoga, (laughs) but, you know, definitely taking time for you. And, and like you said, something, hopefully something can change with the, with the shifts
0: absolutely well it's funny with the yoga i've had um olivia meet on who has an organization called yoga for first responders where she does put firefighters and cops through yoga and it's it's amazing i think yoga is incredible but again there's that stigma you know we're supposed to be shirtless on the calendar covered in soot not doing yoga but actually the second one is more beneficial than the first
1: of course
0: (laughs) all right well then on that theme what about a film or a documentary that you love
1: Oh, yeah, so I love, love, love any documentaries that deal with health, um, because I think that helps us understand, you know, ways to prevent cancer. And I think for me it was very important to learn as much as I could about, you know, health and nutrition. Um, and I'm going back through some of my notes, but there's one called What the Health, which that one is is really, really good. Um, there is also another one that, let me see. Oh, the game changers. This one is on Netflix. And I think this documentary is, you know, it's so good because it talks when when my husband was diagnosed, my late husband was diagnosed with cancer. One of the, the first thing the oncologist told him was to stop eating red meat. Um, and so there's been more and more studies now that talk about, um, how red meat is carcinogenic, you know, hot dogs and, you know, how bad it is for your health. So this, uh, documentary, the game changers really talks about that because I think, you know, you see all these like bodybuilders and you think that you have to eat meat, but actually one of the strong, one of the persons that they feature in the documentary uh, which is kind of like the strongest man alive, only eats vegetables. And they also give another example of how a rhinoceros, they only eat you know, vegetables as well. So I think it's very important to really look into nutrition and, and things that you can do to really help your body. You know, God forbid if, you know, anything that you can do to prevent cancer or if you do get it, um, you know, to really help your body be able to to fight it before it gets to the stage where you're diagnosed when you know it's a stage four. but um food ink is also another one., uh, it's a little bit older. I think that one came out in two thousand and eight. Um, but yeah, those are those are a few few good ones. I love anything um, anything there's also um, and and I'll get this name for you, but I know Netflix also has a series which talks about all the daily toxins in your in in your everyday life. Like there was one about you know the pans that you cook with, like the Teflon, like removing Teflon. And this documentary talks about how the um, the factory where they would produce the Teflon, the water that would drain out of the factory, the cows would drink that water and their calves were being born with like three eyes and all this like craziness and the women's that would work in those factories where they would produce Teflon, their babies were being born with deformities. So I think, you know, I I love anything and I really recommend anything that you can read or, or learn about, you know, nutrition especially as as firefighters i think it's so important
0: well i agree with you completely and it's it's interesting i had james wilkes on the show who made the game changers and Mm -hmm. he had been i've talked about this before he'd been on the joe rogan podcast and and i think joe is incredible and i listen to his show all the time but the 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 way the conversation went on his show is they ended up getting him on and he, he debated some other guy i think it was chris kresser was his name i think and it was, you know, whether you should be full vegan all the time or whether veganism is stupid. And what's so sad is what I talked to James about on my interview is the middle ground is more vegetables, less processed crap. That's, mm-hmm. I think, you know, so whether you have some some, you know, meat in your diet, because again, I think a lot of the science is mostly towards a processed meat. So again, really, really poor quality meat, nitrates, and all these things thrown in as well. So say you lean towards a meat consumption, great. Well, if it's organic, is it, you know, is it the cleanest version of meat, you know, ethics aside, but then, you know, when you look at the the plant-based side, you know, again, is that clean or are you getting chemical covered radiated vegetables? So I agree with you wholeheartedly about the prevention element when I look at the mental health issue, because I think... Equally with cancer, you know, suicide is, is, is the number one killer now and all these, you know, it's, it's a horrendous, you know, rating scale that we have. Is it obesity? Is it cancer? Is it mental health? Well, it's all of these things. And that's what's heartbreaking. But yeah, I mean, if you watch forks over knives and see yeah. the effective, you know, the, the, the way that they were able to reverse um, some cancers with, with nutrition. I believe that I've always said, hand on heart, if I get diagnosed with cancer, I'm going to go to one of these retreats and do the nutrition element because I see chemo kill so many people. And that sounds, you know, oh, that's what what a terrible thing to say. Well, when you look at the basis of the theory, you're basically scorched earthing the body and just hoping that it's going to kind of regrow, you know, but, you know, when you look at the, the actual results, it's not. You know, a highly effective way of treating it. And I think that if you can put homeostasis back in the body as much as possible, you've, you've got equally as, as much of a chance of, of, you know, reversing or if nothing else, if as you said, Either way, sadly, you're going to pass. At least your quality of life is probably going to be better than if you were blasted with chemicals. So everyone Mm -hmm. should have their own choice and decision. But the prevention element, I couldn't agree with you more. Any area that we can address toxins um, is an area that we can ultimately reduce the amount of people that get cancer.
1: Yeah, that's so important. I mean, in my house, we only eat organic and You know, my husband now, he's like, that's so silly. Like, we don't, you know, I've slowly changed his mind on that because he used to think like, it doesn't need to be organic, but you know, you could eat a strawberry, but if it's conventional, if it's not organic, you're getting all the pesticides that they put in, you know, into the fruit. So it's not as healthy, you know, as, as an organic strawberry, the same thing with like spinach. And there's also the dirty dozen. I know right now food prices are to to the roof, but if at least you can start with the dirty dozen and get those organic. So there's a list of um, there's a list of fruits and vegetables that you do want to make sure you get organic because the skin is a lot thinner. So for example, strawberries, you want to make sure you get those organic blueberries, um, uh, a banana, you could probably get it conventional because, you know, it's harder for the pesticide to, to get through like a pineapple avocado. Um, but at least start, if you don't want to go all organic, at least start with the dirty dozen. And I also go by the 80, 20 rules. So 80% of the time I try to eat very healthy and then 20% of the time, you know, I'll, maybe make my husband, if he wants, you know, to eat meat this day, we'll have tacos. I am like, okay, you know, but for the most part, 80% of the time we are trying to eat very healthy. And unfortunately, you know, when you are diagnosed with a late stage cancer, you know, that I feel like nutrition, it's going to be very hard to reverse once it gets to that stage four. So what you do want to, you want to make sure that, you know, you are giving your body all the things before you even get diagnosed, um, with cancer. And a lot of people think food, but it's also the products that you use on your body. You know, the deodorant, I actually started, um, a deodorant line, which I've kind of taken, it's kind of taken a back burner. I've been so bad because I've been so busy with like other projects, but, you know, seeing what ingredients are in your deodorant, you know, changing up your toothpaste, you know, your skin is the largest organ and everything you put on your skin, is going to get absorbed. So what lotions you use and also the, your household cleaning, uh, the, the cleaning supplies that you use, are so like many of them are, they're so toxic and it's so simple to make your own uh, cleaning supplies. I started making my own uh, a few years back and, you know, just like water, vinegar um, is amazing. A little bit of alcohol. There's so many recipes. If you go online to make your own, if you want like um, maybe something to to clean your your windows or if you want something to clean, you know, the bathrooms, there's so many natural recipes without having to to resort to all these um toxic uh supplies and then sadly there's no regulations for for beauty products so <laughs> they could put what and I learned this myself when I started the deodorant line I remember I called up I think it was the the FDA and I told them okay so I want to start a deodorant line what do I need? Like, do you need to see my ingredients or I need to send in a sample? They're like, no, nope. you know, I, mean, I don't need to do anything. So I can literally put whatever I want into this deodorant, sell it to the public. And there's no regulations. And that's so scary. I mean, in, I think in Europe, they, um, I think they banned, I don't know, thousands of ingredients. And in the U.S., I think there's only a ban on like less than 30 ingredients. So it's just, I, I think we need to be more informed on, on that and, and, you know, take it more seriously. Because I think sometimes we think that it's, you know, it's not a really big deal and it, it's just so important for our overall health.
0: Yeah, well, I've always questioned the whole skin cancer thing and how much that comes from lotions. I really do. Because, I mean, the fact that humans are all of a sudden... You know, unable to tolerate any sun just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever but also from the healthy side of you of, of the the argument as well once you recalibrate your taste for example the healthier food tastes amazing and even i actually switched to tom's um deodorant the stick you know very very basic ingredients it is the best damn deodorant I've ever used in my life. So it's so much better gonna, than the I'm crappy gonna send
1: ones. You a, I'm going to send you one of mine.
0: <laughs> right, there we go. Until uh, today.
1: <laughs> yes, until yes, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's so important. I mean, uh, Johnson & Johnson, there was a lawsuit for their baby, uh, baby powder. And the, um, they, they lost. And they had to pay billions and billions of dollars to people that got cancer from using their baby powder. And there's been studies that show that in the, in the powder, they found asbestos and there's still ingredients to this day, talc that has asbestos in it. Most recently, there was a documentary that I saw on, um, I think it's Claire's Claire's is one of those stores where they sell like things for girls and they sell like earrings and makeup and, the mom bought a little eyeshadow uh, palette for her daughter. And she's, you know, she started reading up on like talc and she saw that it was one of the ingredients in that eyeshadow. And this was recently, not too long ago. And she sent it in to get tested. And in fact, they did find asbestos inside the, the eyeshadow palette. So it's, you know, I think once we become more conscious of you know, what we're putting on our bodies, you know, now, I think one in three people get cancer. And it's just so, so sad to see. And it makes you wonder why are so many people getting cancer nowadays.
0: Well, and I think that's such an important point. And this last two years, and I've talked about this so much, was there was no better time to look at all these preventative elements than now you know, the obesity epidemic what we saw as far as healing in the environment when all the cars were suddenly off the roads and yet that was again completely disregarded and the fact that oh you know, people say well healthy food is expensive that's i mean if there's not a giant red flag i don't know what is like because all the subsidies are going to these giant you know factories and these monocrop farms and you know these these horrendous things that are Absolutely, one hundred percent, causing so much death in this country and around the world, as you said, polluting our, our our soils, our water supplies, and nothing, zero. In fact, you know what? You can just fling your masks and, and rubber gloves all over the, the the ground. That's fine. So we, as a as a population, especially if you're a firefighter, where you're exposed to carcinogens that you can't control because you go into burning buildings, then you know we have to. Con- like, take that back. Go back to, you know, a 100-plus years ago where our great-grandparents didn't have to worry about this stuff because there weren't, you know, factories churning this. They weren't destroying our our ground, and they weren't serving our children crap in schools. You know, so I think this is such an important conversation for so many areas, even focus. I just finished reading a book on that and what those toxins do to our inability to to focus now. So, yeah, I mean, this is absolutely a conversation that needs to be had and cancer should be at the forefront of it.
1: Yeah, I always say if you read the ingredients and you don't know how to pronounce it or you don't know what it is, then, you know, look for something else. I think it's so important now a lot of the food that's marketed for kids, you know, has like yellow number, I don't know, five red number, you know, like what ingredient is that? Like you really need to read up on your ingredients. I mean, cancer, basically what it is, it's just your body is there's inflammation and it's, your immune system is not able to catch those cells that are multiplying. So things that, cause inflammation anything that you can do to reduce it you know milk you know cow milk and you know there's been studies that it causes inflammation as well as you know the the red meat and things like that so if you could get your body back to a place where you reduce the inflammation i think that's it's a good start
0: absolutely well that was a hell of a tangent on my books and movies question
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm very passionate as you can see about organic and i always uh tell people because they think you know they're like it's so expensive but then maybe like organic food is a little bit more expensive but then sickness is, is just as expensive you know when you get sick and you're not able to work or and you have all these medical bills you know that's that's very expensive
0: absolutely i had a, a guy joel salatin so if you think about food inc there was a chicken farmer who has got you know wire glasses and dungarees on a big straw hat um amazing amazing guy and uh yeah, he, one of his quotes is you think organic food is expensive have you priced cancer lately i mean that's yeah. that's exactly it you know and it shouldn't you know organic food should be cheap because we should have local farms you know, these chemicals should be banned and and we should be subsidizing these farms and subsidizing yeah. them cooking real food in our children's schools and getting soda machines out of them you know but sadly right now they line the pockets of people that make laws And these giant companies get all the subsidies and our local men and women that actually could feed our towns and and cities don't get any of it. So it's it's so backwards.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, from watching these documentaries, you learn so much, too. And if you look at the American food pyramid you know, you see so different than if you say you go to Europe and you see their food pyramid where they have fish and they have nuts and grains. And here in the U S you have, you know, meat. And part of that is when you look at the lobbyists that are in charge of, you know, and they put in their, their money to get, you know, the, the, you know, certain foods in the, in the food pyramid, you Um, you learn so much and you kind of see, oh, I see why now (laughs) this is, this is there.
0: Absolutely. um, Yeah. Beautiful. Well, all right. Well, then the last question before I make sure everyone knows where to find you, if they want to reach out, what do you do to decompress these days?
1: Oh, what do I do? So I love to go paddleboarding. <laughs> I haven't been paddleboarding a little bit, but I have my paddleboard ready to go for the summer. Um, and a lot of my audio books, so I don't have much time to, to sit down and read a book with two little ones. But I really decompress at the end of the night with my audiobook. I actually will go to sleep <laughs> just listening to to uh to a good book. Um and then just spending time with my family going to the beach. I think the beach is my my happy place and I love just spending time in in the water and just um being around my my loved ones.
0: Beautiful. Well, Again, it's been such a great conversation. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to, to reach out, learn more about your, uh, your products and you know, <laughs> other areas that you blog about. So, where are the best places online to find you?
1: Yeah. So, the best place where I'm the most active is on Instagram. So, it's ca- at Carmen Ordonez. And the Ordonez, I'll spell it out because a lot of people <laughs> might not know how to. So, it's O R D as in David. O-N-E-Z, as in zebra, and then TV. So Carmen Ordonez TV. So that's where I share all my, I have travel tips. I love to travel with my family and a bunch of other other good stuff.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Carmen, I want to say thank you. Um, you know, as I say, with a lot of people that have come and, and really kind of bore their soul, if that's the right word, or bared their soul there's two sides to that. I mean, obviously people listening are going to resonate deeply. There's going to be a lot of lessons they can pull away. But at the same time, I understand that taking you back to some of those memories, you know, is at a cost as well. So I truly appreciate you being so vulnerable and, and courageous in telling yours and Fernando's story today and Andy's.
1: Oh, thank you so much, James. And thank you so much for everything that you're doing with this podcast. I think, you know, it's so going to be so helpful to it's already been so helpful to to so many of our firefighters and police officers. So thank you so much for for everything that you do. And and thank you for thinking of me. (laughs) I'm so honored.